0: What's up, H12? How you guys doing tonight? That's what I'm talking about. So we're, uh, we're starting this new series tonight called Clutch, Who You Are When It Matters Most. And man, I think that this is going to be a, an amazing series. We're going to be talking about some pretty powerful stuff that I think is going to impact your life and challenge you. And uh, I think that it is an appropriate to do a series like this in the middle of my favorite sports month in all of the year, March can I give it up for some March Madness? Where are my March Madness people at? Yes. Now listen, I grew up I, somebody say spring baseball. <laughs> shame, shame. <laughs> I grew up. I grew up in North Carolina. That's my girl right there. Go Tar Heels from the back. I grew up in North Carolina, and in North Carolina, basketball is king. My wife grew up in Alabama. She's like all football and all blah, 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 you know, and I like football. But let me tell you something. In North Carolina, it is all about basketball. I lived right in the middle of Wake Forest, Duke University, UNC, North Carolina Chapel Hill, and NC State. And, of course, I pull for the only team that matters in the entire nation, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Go Tar Heels. That's what I'm talking about. Y'all feel the energy in the place tonight. And, uh, and so I'm a huge Tar Heel fan. I'm a huge college basketball fan. And by the way, Carolina has the greatest basketball player to ever play in the history of the game. MJ, Michael Jordan, LeBron ain't got nothing on Michael Jordan. Can I get an amen? Amen. Y'all like, nah. All y'all, all y'all people that never watched Jordan play, you just don't know. Go and look at some highlights. Anyways, and, uh, And you can't talk about college basketball without talking about perhaps one of the greatest coaches in college, not one of the greatest coaches in college basketball history, is a guy by the name of John Wooden. Now, John Wooden was the coach of the UCLA Bruins from 1948 to 1975. And John Wooden won 10 national championships in a 12-year period. Let me put that in perspective. No college coach in NCAA history has won more than four other than John Wooden, and he won 10. He won seven in a row at one time. Incredible. Now, all the best players in the country would flock to his nickname, the Wizard of Westwood. They would flock to him, and he would begin to coach them up, and they would play under him. And perhaps no player played for John Wooden that was greater than Ferdinand Louis Alcindor. Or better known as Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Anybody heard of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar before? If you have not heard about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, let me tell you about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. In fact, I think I have a picture of Kareem and, and Coach Wooden. Look <laughs> at him shorts right there, bro. <laughs> I want me a pair of those. Just kidding. And uh, and so um, and so Kareem Kareem when he graduated or when he finished up at UCLA, he went and played. Listen, he played twenty seasons in the NBA. He is a NBA record holder for 19 NBA All-Star appearances. No player has appeared in the All-Star game more than him. Not only that, but Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is a record six-time NBA MVP. No player has been an MVP more times than Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And Kareem Abdul-Jabbar holds the career record for the most points scored by an NBA player. This dude was a stud. He won six NBA championships as a player. He won two NBA championships as a coach. And Kareem, uh, uh, Pat Riley, one of the greatest coaches in NBA history said, and, and, uh, and player Isaiah Thomas said that, that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is the best player in NBA history. Now listen, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, after he retired, they did a big sort of ceremony thing at the Los Angeles Forum after one of the games. And, and so after they celebrate him and they raise his uh, number up into the rafters, they're having this conversation with Kareem and the reporter asks him a question. She says, who is the greatest basketball player that you've ever played against? Now, this had to be a difficult challenge. Here's a guy who's played against Larry Bird, Carl Malone, Michael Jordan, Mag- Magic Johnson, some of the greatest players that have ever played the game. And Kareem paused for a minute, he thought, and he said, that would have to be Earl the Goat Manigault. Who? Who is the goat? Earl the Goat Manigault? Anybody ever heard of the Earl the Goat Manigault? Like six of you? Six of you, and half of you are lying? No, I'm just kidding. And kidding. Uh, right? Like, student leadership. That's right, that's right. Earl the Goat, student leadership team's heard of him. And, uh, and uh, Earl the Goat Manigault. And Earl the Goat Manigault was a phenom. He was a prodigy. He holds the New York City record for the most points ever scored in a junior high basketball game with 57 points. Now, I don't know if you've ever played, there's a picture of him. I don't know if you've ever played uh, junior high basketball, but like the games are they're pretty tough to watch. You know what I'm saying? They're low scoring games. He scored 57 points. His freshman year in high school, he played for a, he played for a powerhouse basketball team, Benjamin Franklin High School in New York. Uh, and, and as a freshman, he scored, he was the star of the team. He scored 24 points and 11 rebounds a game. That's what he averaged. His senior year, he averaged 33 points, 11 rebounds a game as a senior in high school. But he wasn't just famous on the courts of, of his high school. Where Kareem knew him from was from from the streets. Famed parks like Rutgers Park where he would play basketball uh, with all the great street, street ballers. And what he was most famous for was his leaping ability. In fact, he was known for his signature move. It was called the double dunk. Literally, in one leap, he would take the basketball, dunk it through, grab it with his left hand, and dunk it through again in one jump without hanging on the rim. There is a story of him dunking over a 6'8 guy and a 6'9 guy two-handed from the foul line in a game. This guy had incredible leaping mobility. In fact, they said that he could stand flat-footed underneath the basketball goal and jump straight up in the air and take dollars and quarters and things off the top of the backboard that would be set up there, a part of elaborate innovative tricks that street ballers during this day would do. And here's the crazy thing. He was only six foot, one inches tall. Nuts. Nuts. Now, when you see talent like that, and you hear of stories about people like that, who do things like that, you think, man, it must be nice to be born like that. That gifted it must be nice to, to just kind of be able to do something like that and everyone be able to look at you. And, th- and, here, and this is what I want you to get. And I want you to write this. There is a secret to the reason why the goat was so good. And here's the secret. The secret is training. That's the secret. In fact, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Off-season training determines in-season Results. What people would say about the goat, Earl Manigault, they would say that he was a feverish competitor and he always wanted to get better. That even when he was in middle school and and, uh, even before he got into middle school, he would strap weights onto his ankles and play for hours a day with weights around his ankles in order to improve his leaping ability. He wasn't just a good jumper and dunker, but he was a lights out Shooter. In fact, some players said that he was a sniper from long range is how they would refer to him. And what people who played with him would say is is that he would go down to the park early in the morning and he would shoot hundreds of shots from everywhere on the basketball court every single day to get better, to get better, and to get better that he performed in the games and he was will, able to do the things that he did because he was willing to put in the work. He was willing to, to train. He was willing to get in the mix. He was willing to do more than what other players would do. And oftentimes we see people perform at a high level and we think, well, they're just born that way. They got good genetics. Or we think that they're just, just lucky, Right? You see somebody hit a buzzer beater and you're like, man, that was just luck. I think Mr. Clutch, Michael Jordan, the man you want with the ball in his hand, the man that, that went, had won so many games hitting the ball at the buzzer, I think what he would say is this. He would say, I hit those buzzer beaters because I was willing to put the time in in the gym. I was willing to train. I shot those shots hundreds of times so that when the moment of pressure came, it was just another thing that I was doing. I was completely and utterly prepared for it. I was trained for it. I was ready. I was ready. And training in basketball gives you in-season results in a game. And I would say this, training in godliness gives you in-season results in life. That this picture of being trained as an athlete is a picture that's given throughout the Bible, throughout the New Testament, as a picture of our faith. That we see that we train ourselves up in godliness. In other words, the first day you pick up a basketball, you can't dribble it through your legs and you can't make a three-point jumper. That it takes some time of you practicing and time of you training and time of you doing that. And that's why it should never be expected for someone who's new in their faith to, to be as far along in their journey as someone else who's been following Jesus for a long time. And oftentimes, you can get discouraged early on in your faith because you look at someone that's ahead of you, and you say, man, they're, they're, they're like, man, they're reading their Bible like an hour a day, and they're praying, and they're doing all this stuff, and they're, they're, man, they're just so disciplined, and man, they just, you can just tell they love God, man, they're just so much more humble than anybody else I know, and, and man, I just, man, they, they won the fight in, in purity, and man, I'm trying to figure that stuff out, or man, how, how do they not cuss? I mean, that was the biggest thing for me, man, I, it's, I, man after I became a believer for like years, man, I could not stop cussing cussing because it was such a part of my life and I was trying to try to grow in that and I was like man how do these people like not do it because it's just so it just comes out I stump my toe and like f-bombs just drop it's just how it is like how do I stop this and I would always try to compare myself to all these other people around me and you just have to realize that this faith journey growing up in godliness takes time it is a part of the journey and God understands that this is what we talked about two weeks ago where we live in a society and a culture that's all about performance Jesus steps up on the scene and he says, listen, you don't have to perform for me for me to love you. I love you regardless of your performance. I want to spend time with you. I want you to get in the word. I want you to learn more about me, not so that I can bless you or so I can have favor on your life, but just because I want to spend time with you because I love you and you love me. And we have this relationship just like you like to spend time with your girlfriend or just like you like to spend time with your family or just like you like to spend time with some of your closest friends. I want to spend time with you. And we see this awesome passage in 1 Timothy chapter 4. If you've got your Bibles, you can open them. If you don't have a Bible, there's one under your chair. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. And Paul is talking to Timothy. Now, Paul is like a coach, if you will, and Timothy is this young pupil. Paul writes two letters to Timothy and as a part of him writing these letters to Timothy, he is encouraging him to grow in his faith. He's encouraging him to take a stand. He says just, he says a little bit later in this passage, a popular scripture that maybe you've heard before. Do not let anyone look down on you because you were young, but be an example in faith and purity and all these different things. And so we see this picture in this passage of scripture here of Timothy being a younger guy and Paul being his mentor, his coach that is leading him. And Paul challenges him with something here. And I want you to see this. This It's so good. Verse seven. And I'm gonna break this down. So um, I'll tell you what, I'll read the whole thing. And I think we got up on the screens and then I'll come back to it. It says this, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. For physical training is of some value, but but godliness has value for all. all. For all things, holding promise for both the present life and life to come. Let me back up. I want, to, I, want to, I want to back up to verse seven. Notice what he says. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. What does that even mean? What is a wives' tale? How many of you guys have ever had, like, you've been in, you've been in your house and like, and, like, you've, like, made a face of your brother or something and you're, like, mom or your grandma or somebody's like that. It's like, dude, if you make a, like, dude, if you keep making that face, you're going to get stuck that way. Anybody ever said that? Anybody ever told you that before? Like, that's a wives' tale, right? Like, if you sit too close to the TV, you're going to what? You're going to go blind, right? Like people make these, say these things all the time. These are old wives' tales. And this is what happened. People actually have wives' tales and, and these godless myths, he calls them, about faith, about God, about life. And that's what he's talking about here. And this is what would happen. What would happen during this time is, is, that, is, that, uh, is that people believed that you had to be born in a certain family in order to have God's favor and blessing. You had to be born in a, a certain way. You had to be born in a certain family in order to have certain privileges, in order to have certain things. And, and they would make excuses around this because of this. And Paul is saying, listen, don't buy into that garbage. Don't buy into the fact that you're born uh, in this particular family. And so this is why, this is why it's this way. It, it, it was like this weekend, I was speaking at a retreat up in North Carolina for a couple of churches. And we were sitting at this table uh, this, this, this table at dinner one night. And there was a girl sitting at my table. She was uh, 17 years old. <laughs> and, um, and one of the people at the table, one of her leaders said, hey, uh, Derek, why don't uh, you uh, tell her how she can go to youth camp? Because her church goes to youth camp in the summer, which is, which is awesome. And I was like, and I was like well, uh, you should go to youth camp. <laughs> okay. And, uh, and, and the girl said, the girl said, I can't. And I said, why not? And she says, well, it's like over $300. Okay. She says, well, I can't afford that. And I said, okay. I said, well, do you got a job? She said, yeah, I have a job. I said, well, how much money do you make a week? She she said, well, I make about $110 a week. Okay, well, that's like $440 a month. That's in one month you can go to youth camp. (laughs) Well, I have to pay for my insurance. Well, how much your insurance? Forty bucks. Okay. How? Uh, what else you got to pay? I got to pay for my cell phone. How much is your cell phone? Hundred bucks. So the four hundred and the four hundred the 400 and, and bucks that you make a month, four hundred forty bucks you make a month. You 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 uh you only are spending you know a small portion of that. You could say even if you just set aside fifty bucks a month, you could pay pay that off. Well, it's just not that easy. Well, what do you mean it's not that easy? I mean, if you wanna go and you prioritize this in your life, I don't get why it's not that easy. Well, it's just not that easy. Okay, well, tell me why you don't think it's that easy. There's a couple leaders, another pastor at the table, I'm sitting at the table and she says this. She says, because my family is not in the same tax bracket that you guys are in. Really? And what tax bracket am I in? This is what she was saying. What she was saying was, my family doesn't make as much money as your family does. How much money do I make? She has no idea. See, what happens is, is that when you buy into these ideas, and you, as woe as me, it creates this victim mentality well, I can't come through in the clutch, or you don't understand the pressures that I'm dealing with. You don't understand the temptations that I have. No, temptation's different for me than it is for you. You don't understand what my background is. You don't understand this. Godless myths is what that is. It's a lie, it's bullcrap. And this is what happens what happens is, People all the time get paralyzed by this. You don't understand my situation. You don't understand the family that I come from. And this victim mentality has crippled our nation. It cripples our students. It cripples people. And this is what he's addressing here. He says, hey, stop buying into that garbage. There's going to come a time where you're going to have to step up and you gotta stop making excuses why you're not stepping up. Everybody can make, let me tell you, everybody has it hard. Every person in this room feels pressure. Every person in this room has difficulty. I have pressures every single day that are unbelievably difficult, unbelievably painful that I have to go through and deal with and manage and all that in my ministry, in my home life, in every area of my life, and you have those same things. We all have them. And we have to break free from that victim mentality. That's what he's saying here. And then he goes on, he says this. He says, for physical training has some value, but godliness has value for itself, for all things. Holding promise for both the present life and life to come. This is what he's saying right here. He's saying you can train yourself physically to win a game. It has value in order to do this, to to, to train up physically because you're competing and you want to make sure that you can compete. But But he's saying, but you train yourself in godliness to win in life. And the value of winning in life, training up in Godliness is so much higher than physical training. He says this, Paul says this to to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 9.25. He says, everyone who competes in the games, talking about sporting events, goes into strict training. But notice what he says. They do it to get a crown that will not last. In other words, they do it to win this crown, but this crown doesn't last. Like this, how many of you guys know who won the Super Bowl this year? Who was it? Uh, y'all already forgot Patriots won the Super Bowl this year the Patriots won the Super Bowl this year some of you already forgot listen who won the Super Bowl in 2005 10 years ago nobody knows nobody knows and here's, here's the point <laughs> the Tar <Heels. laughs> the Tar Heels won. <laughs> I'm just kidding. They did not win. They don't win. Here's the point. The point is this. The point he's making here is he says, listen, people compete in games, they go into street training for it, but look, after a while, nobody remembers this, but look, he goes on, he says, but we do it. We train in godliness so that we can get a crown that will last forever. He's saying training in godliness is so much more valuable. What's on the line if you don't train properly for your sport? Well, you may lose a game. What's on the line if you don't train up in godliness? You lose in life. And let me tell you something. When you lose in life, it's painful. A lot of regret, a lot of shame. I've experienced it. And some of you have experienced it. And that's why we have this conversation. He said, listen, this should be a valuable thing. You should be thinking about this. Just like you're preparing in your school, training yourself up so that you can go into a career one day. Just like you train up in your athletics to go into your athletics one day. Just like you practice your instrument in band so that you can play in your band. Just like you practice in your drama team so that you can perform the, the uh, the, uh whatever you call it, and uh, the play. Just, you know, you do that just like you do. He, look, look. He, says, he says, you have to put a high value on your relationship with God and growing in that and training up in that. You have to put a high value on that because this is how you win in life. And I think it is incredible how much time we spend training up for all of these things in life and very little on training ourselves up in godliness and for the things that matter most in life. And that's what he's addressing here. Paul is saying that when, pressure, when the pressure's on and time is ticking by, godliness is what comes through in the clutch. Will you be prepared? It doesn't matter how good you are at a game if you cannot win life. The GOAT, he played with the best players in his day and no one can match his skill. Even Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, one of the greatest players of all time, says... It's the greatest player I've ever played with. Yet he's not a household name like Kareem, Jordan, Larry Bird, like Magic Johnson. And the reason is he couldn't win the game of life. See, the story goes Earl Manigault graduated high school. He got involved with the wrong guys, buddies of his. He started doing drugs with them eventually started doing heroin, got addicted to heroin, spent two years in prison, and he never recovered. So much potential, so little payout. So much potential, so little payout. And it's heartbreaking. So here's my question for you. How are you training up in godliness so that you can make it in this life? I've seen too many students falling away, getting wrapped up in the wrong people and wrapped up in the wrong things. And I think one of the biggest contributors is that we are lazy and we treat casually our personal growth and our spiritual walk with God and growing up in that. And so it's like, hey, I go to life groups as long as like there's not something better to do on Sunday nights. And I come to H12 as long as there's not something better to do on Tuesday nights. And I read my Bible as long as I haven't as long as I don't have too much homework or I don't want to go hang out with my friends or I don't want to do this. And here's the deal. You have to start prioritizing your relationship with God. So that you can grow up so that it doesn't take you out. And I put down a few things for us to do. And I put this down. This is kind of the, the, the to do. This is kind of the application part. And I, and I put this down because I, I think this. I think the reason we buckle under pressure. And the reason that who we are when it matters most in the clutch. Because we all have pressures. I think the reason we buckle under pressure is because we treated lazy our spiritual growth. And I think that one of the most powerful things that you can do is spend time with God. I think it is the one thing that that is with you when you are faced with temptation, when you are faced with pressures, that you are prepared to stand in those moments. And so I want to throw out a few things to you. The first thing I want you to do is this. One, make some time. Make some time. Simple enough. Look, it takes time to train. And we are all busy. I talked about this two weeks ago, right? Because we live in such a performance-based society, it makes us all busy. We're competitive. It makes us busy. We're all busy. Every person in this room, if I was to ask you offline, hey, on a scale from one to 10, how busy you are, are you? Most of you are an eight and above. We are all busy. And most of us are a 10. So you have to prioritize. You have to set aside time. I don't, I don't have time to go to the gym. So I have to figure it out because I want to be healthy. Because I want to live a long life. I want to have energy. I want to be able to throw a baseball with my kid when my kid is a teenager. I want to be able to do those things. because, I, And so I want to stay healthy. It's a priority to me because it's important to me. And if your relationship with God is important to you, then you make it a priority. So make some time. Make some time. Number two, keep it consistent. Keep it consistent. If you play a sport and you practice one day this week, two days next week, Take two weeks off, three, day, three times the next week. Take the next week off, one time the next week. When it's time for game time, you're not going to be ready. When it's in the moment to hit the clutch shot under pressure, you're not going to be confident. And so you've got to make this time consistent. So commit to daily time with God, every day. And listen, don't beat yourself up if you miss a day. God is not disappointed in you. He's not mad at you. He doesn't love you any less if you miss a day in your time with God. And you shouldn't do it just to do it. You should do it because you love him and you wanna spend time with him. And so just pick it up the next day, no big deal. But make it consistent and commit to it because you wanna prioritize your time with God. The third thing is this, have a training plan. Have a training plan. I remember when I played sports in high school, we had a training plan. I love MMA. Any MMA fans? UFC fans? Yeah. Huge MMA fan. Yeah, baby. Come on. And uh, I watch like all of them and I'm I'm addicted. I'm obsessed. It's all good. But I love that. But you know, it's it's cool because they have training plans for each one of the UFC athletes. And they do this so that they peak at the right time. They peak at the, at the time when they go in to perform. They don't want to overtrain to where they get to a point where they actually peak before the fight starts. And they don't want to peak too late after the fight happens. So you've got to have a plan for training. I've heard that it takes 21 days to build a habit. I don't like the word habit. I like the word consistent rhythm. So we'll say this. It takes 21 days to create a consistent rhythm in your life. And this is what I would say to you. Or challenge you with. I want to challenge you to put reading the scripture, getting into God's word, into a consistent rhythm in your life. This series is through the month of March, and there's 21 days left in the month of March. Amazing. Ironic. And this is what I want to challenge you with. I want to challenge you to get into the book of Luke and read one chapter a day. If you miss a day, don't beat yourself up, but try to set a consistent time. Maybe it's, maybe it's like this. Maybe you set it at 3 o'clock in the afternoon when you get home from school. And you start doing it for a week, and then your buddy says, Hey, man, let's go. Let's go uh, man, it's beautiful outside. Let's go, uh, I don't know, hit some golf balls. <laughs> whatever. And, uh, and, uh, and you just say, or let's go play some video games. Whatever You say, Listen, I can do it. After 3.30, I got to go home first, or I got to go do something in my car first real quick, and to get out your Bible ready, keep it consistent, all right? Keep it consistent, do that. And so I've got a 21-day plan that I want to put up on the board. It's actually on your notes down at the bottom, and I want to and I wanna, I wanna challenge you with this. So you're going to read one chapter of Luke a day. And look, you're going to ask God, what do these verses say about me? So I'm going to read it. I'm going to say, what do these verses say about me? Then I'm going to ask this question. What do these verses say about you? This is talking about God. God, what do these verses say about you? Who you are? And then finally, what do you want me to do with what I just read today? What do you want me to do with what I just read today? So you're going to ask yourself the question after you read the verse. What do these verses say about me? What do these verses say about you? And what do you want me to do today? Listen, this is an easy practical plan. And this is what I know. You can read a chapter in the Bible in about a minute and 30 seconds. Pretty easy. This is what I also know. There are some of you in this room, many of you in this room, that maybe you have never read a chapter in the Bible in your entire life. Ever. You've heard it talked about, maybe you've made commitments to it. Maybe you're in here and you haven't done a lot. And since it's 21 days, this is what I know. Tonight is night one. And most of you are not going to go home and be like, man, I got homework and I got this and I got that. And I'm going to read a chapter. So I had an idea. Everybody has a Bible under your chair. So I'm going to have somebody come up here and play softly and prettily (laughs) behind me. By somebody, I mean Lauren and uh, Jared studs. Straight up studs. And I want everybody, even if it's your first night you're like, hey man, this is kind of weird. Cool. Just go with it. Pull out the Bible from underneath your chair if you don't have one. If you don't have a Bible, write your name in this one. Take it home. Make it your own. And this is what I want you to do. Open up to Luke chapter 1. No talking. No, dis- no distractions. This is time alone with God. You're going to read this to yourself. You're not going to read it to your partner. You're not going to talk and play on your phone. Grab it up. And it's gonna be easier to read it because they're gonna make they're gonna have some like some pretty lead music playing in the background. By the way, that's a killer beard you got there, bro. Yeah. So Luke chapter Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We're just gonna take a couple minutes and just read it. If you're still reading, you can keep reading. What's cool is is that chapter 1 is the longest chapter in the book of Luke so you got the longest chapter behind you now the longest chapter behind you, isn't that cool so ask yourself those questions tonight reflect on those, think through those maybe through the song that we're about to sing and and that they're about to play and if you're still reading finish reading up, like I said if you don't have a Bible write your name in this, take it home with you and uh, we've never done this before, but I thought it'd be cool just to do this one night, just to have some time where we can read and get this started All So we're going to commit to this and be consistent with it. We're going to talk about it over the next couple weeks as we go through March. And uh, we'll be maybe uh, posting through social media uh, some verses that stick out to us that we want you to think through. And maybe you could tweet at us some verses that stick out to you as you read through um, through, the, through the book of Luke. And uh, so, God, I want to lift up these students. I thank you so much, God, for for who you are in our lives God I just pray that you would work in us and through us that you would change us God we're about life change here we're about finding something that's bigger than the temporary things that are in life we got something that transcends that something that is bigger than that something that is more amazing than that and that's you Gotta pray for those students in this room that are seeking, searching, and they're like, "Hey, you know what? Like, I want to stick this series out. I want that's what I need to commit to tonight. I'm going to stick this series out, and I want to hear more about what we're going to be talking about." We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, Amen.